many of us live from the place of a core delusion. And that core delusion is that false perception of reality. As you get to know your own stuff, basically, and really own your own stuff, you can see how you're projecting unconsciously onto your clients or patients. And as we learn the tools to remove those filters, we can then see the person for who they really are, which is ultimately the greatest gift a practitioner can do and be for a patient. Remove your own projections so you can see what's really in front of you. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the field of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Serafina Caprano's European grandparents first introduced her to the healing power of natural medicine. After suffering an injury to her spine as a teenager, Serafina was given a prognosis of lifelong pain by the conventional medical system. Determined to heal herself, she returned to her roots and since then has gone on to be a highly respected herbalist and homeopath with a practice based on Salt Spring Island off Canada's west coast. And she does not suffer from chronic pain. Serafina joined as a visiting faculty member at Pacific Rim College many years ago, and now she is one of nine distinguished instructors on Pacific Rim College Online's highly acclaimed Community Herbalist Online Certificate Program and Home Herbalist Online Program, the latter of which she now combines in an incredible learning opportunity with her renowned The Alchemy of Herbal Medicine Program. Serafina takes us on a journey of her herbal roots, shares the tapestry of herbalism on her tiny Gulf Island, explores some of her significant client healing results, and talks about her own healing journey. This is a diverse conversation of herbal medicine, covering many countries, highlighting numerous mentors, and offering lessons from plants. Please enjoy this podcast-sized dose of herbal medicine with Serafina Kerpranos. Well, Serafina, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. It's my pleasure. Now, you are the second herbal faculty member of Pacific Rim College who I've interviewed who is on Salt Spring Island. What right. is it about Salt Spring <laughs> that is attracting herbalists? What took you there? Yeah, what a great question. Um, you know, the land calls you if you're a plant person. I was actually living in New Mexico uh, before I moved here. That was 2002. And I had gone to Vancouver to go to homeopathy school. I worked for a homeopath when, when I was in New Mexico in Santa Fe. And she said, if you're Canadian, go to the school in Vancouver. And so I went to Vancouver, didn't quite connect with the city's energy and vibe. I'm from Toronto originally and used to more of a multicultural city. And, uh, and then I came to Salt Spring for May long weekend and I never left. I literally came for a weekend and never left. And I think it was, you know, a combination of things. Um, and at that time of year, you know, cause we live in the same bioregion, but that time of year, May is glorious. The green is just bright, verdant green. There were lambs, you know, hopping along the, the <laughs> fields. And of course the hawthorn was in bloom. 
And it was just, it's surreal. It's beautiful. This is truly a place, maybe even all of Southwestern Canada is a place that speaks to people who have a deep connection with nature. Yeah. Did you have any connections there at all? None at all. No. Nope. Yeah. So what was that like for you getting set up in a, a new home on an island? It's the first time you'd lived on an island? Yeah, a small island never, at that. Exactly. And I'd never even heard of this part of the world. I'm from okay. you know eastern part of Canada, but I hadn't even heard of this part of the world or, or this island. So um, I came here for the weekend and it was one of those, again, magical confluences of the right people, the right time. I stayed on a farm and the first person I met was this herbalist who's now one of my dearest friends named Kisai and she had her baby in her arms and she said, oh, I'm a herbalist too. And we instantly got talking. And from there it was come to this potluck and come to this you know, evening fire. And it just became this incredible uh, inclusion immediately, which I didn't experience in Vancouver. And frankly, I, haven't, I have not experienced in many places. So quite immediately I found a group of friends and many of them are still my best friends. And I was young. Uh, just in my early 20s. So from there, I got a job at the local health food store. And like, I believe, many small communities, there is this, I often say to my city friends who say, how can you live on this little island? In many ways, it's almost more connective and more social. Because when you go to the grocery store, it's a long event because you're bumping into everyone you know and their neighbors and you want to know how the children are and you want to know how the garden is so it's it's like living in a small village which is very much like an extended family wow it sounds so romantic what's the tapestry of herbalists like there there must be dozens of of well-known herbalists there are, yeah, there's many among us. In many ways, it feels like almost everyone is a herbalist <laughs> in their own way, right? Because working with the land, having land, even if you live in a little, I've lived in everything from like a tiny short bus to now I live in a beautiful acreage. But no matter where you live, in some way, you're harvesting nettles. Everyone is harvesting nettles in the early spring, and most people are harvesting the hawthorn berries. So the tapestry of herbalists is wide, vast, diverse, and incredibly creative. Um, there are all ages, all dimensions. It's, it's beautiful. And there are many herbalists that have moved here from different places in the world as well. Um, and what's also interesting is the different kinds of training we've all had. I initially trained at Emerson College in Toronto. There's herbalists here who apprenticed with Rosemary Gladstar in the 80s. Um, one herbalist here, Rainbow, Rainbow May, she's, I, I believe she was among James Green, Rosemary Gladstar, and a lot of those pioneers, really. So there's an incredible diversity of herbalists and great stories, really mm. great stories. Yeah. And you're so close to, you're so connected geographically. I, I would say, what are you, 100 meters separated from Vancouver Island at the closest point? Exactly. It's, it's, it's a swim across to get too so where what is your background with the with the name as Serafina Capranos I'm I'm guessing European is yeah. that okay yeah that's what is right. your ancestry yeah so my ancestry is very diverse on um, my father's side it's Greek hence Capranos mm -hmm. yep. um, Greek and Irish and Turkish and Scottish 
And okay. my mother is German and, uh, you know, Germany shares borders with many countries. So my grandmother, mm -hmm. we believe has some Italian heritage as well. And then her, her husband, my grandfather is Nordic, tall, blonde, blue eyes, where my grandmother's, you know, tiny, dark hair, dark, curly black hair. So we're diverse in our genetic pool. My mother was born in Germany and my father was born in Canada. Okay. And does your name have a meaning? Seraphina means it's connected to the Latin, the seraphims, which were a group of angels. So quite literally, it means angel of fire. Oh, wow. How does that suit you? I don't know you well enough yet to, yeah, uh, to yeah. make that call. Well, yeah, I definitely feel fiery. I'm, I'm earth fire, though. I have a lot okay. of fire in my personality. And I'd, I'd love to say I feel connected to the angelic realm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I definitely have quite a lot of fire and passion. I'm a passionate mm -hmm. person. Now, you learned a lot of your medicine background from your elders. Is that correct? Yeah. So my grandparents, my mother's parents lived in a tiny village. Well, my mother's mother in particular lived in a tiny village outside of uh, a main town in Germany. And so I grew up with stories here of their, everyone needed to know about herbal medicine. It wasn't, it wasn't due to a trend the way we were raised in our family as well. My mother raised us with natural medicine and I was surrounded with how to make your own cough syrup and what to do for fevers and flus and even more serious conditions because my grandparents didn't have a doctor in their village. Nobody really had access to a doctor. It was you had to fend for yourself or you had the gift of the local midwife who basically did everything. Therefore, I was raised without really needing to see the doctor very often. And again, I always like to emphasize it wasn't because my family was anti-medical doctors or anything of that nature. It was truly just a matter of survival and necessity that my family my mother's side anyway, knew how to take care of most ailments. And that really shaped me. That really shaped me. When, I, when we were growing up, of course, my mother would just pull out the herbal cabinet and take care of us that way. And there was a certain level of confidence. And so then when I had my first health issues, you could say when I was a teenager, I trusted nature. I trusted natural medicine. I trusted practitioners that knew the the spirit of healing rather than needing to rely on a doctor in technical medicine. And so even today, I've never had an antibiotic and it's not because I'm against the use of proper use of antibiotics, but it's mainly because it's so intrinsic in my nature to know how to read my body's symptoms and signs because that was instilled in me as a young person, how to read when something is off and know to take action and how to take action immediately. Was becoming a herbalist just a natural progression for you or were there ever any points of resistance or the opposite points of aha moments where you knew this is what you were going to do? Yeah, I would say it was a deep knowing. I remember the moment when I was 11 years old, I walked into a bookstore with my father and there on display was David Hoffman's Holistic Herbal, the illustrated edition. And I saw that it was just the cover and the word herbal and I knew I gravitated to it and it was in that moment I knew this was part of my path. I didn't necessarily know that I would go to herbal school and, and set up a clinic by any stretch of the imagination but I knew it was part of my life 
Um, so all throughout my teens, I gobbled every book that I could on herbal medicine. Though I was also deeply interested in science, I loved school and still do. I love academia. So I actually, when I graduated high school, I went to University of Toronto in hopes to do my pre-med so that I would become a medical doctor who also knew about herbs. And at that time, there was no term like functional medical, medical doctor. So I was incredibly captivated by that idea of how to bridge the two worlds, having a clinical practice, having a medical background, and also using herbs. When I went to Emerson College, um, right out, basically right out of high school, I encountered some wonderful practitioners who too had this deep traditional knowledge, but also had the passion and the uh, academic fervor, let's say, for bridging those worlds, which was really exciting. You mentioned David Hoffman, of course, an amazing herbalist who has inspired many. What mentors or teachers have you had along the way who have really had profound impact on you? Yeah, what a great question. There's been many, I would say, of course, my, my grandmother and grandfather. Then the first, the next big influencer was Susan Weed. And in the late 90s, I went to her land, the Wise Woman Center, and had my mind blown. She is quite a character, incredibly passionate, very eccentric, very loving, very fierce. That was my first real meeting of somebody who was living the life of a eccentric, fabulous, just mind-blowing herbalist. And it was there that I met other people like her. She had a lot of her peers come and, and hold lodges with us, and we'd have all these round circles and conversations and case studies. And it was it was incredible because again, I was I was a kid in a city, and that was my exposure to herbalists were usually, you know, the faculty of Emerson College, which were wonderful academic men who I admired, who were very fatherly and warm and quite grounded. And then meeting Susan Reed, it was just this wild, ferocious creature. So she was definitely highly influential. The next influential person was a mentor that I had in New Mexico. So I ended up in New Mexico based on a dream, basically. I had a dream five months before my, my father suddenly died. And the dream was I was, in this, I was in the desert and I was studying medicine with a, with a woman. And I had told, I woke from this dream and I told a friend of mine in New York about this dream. And she said, wow, this sounds like this herbalist and shaman I know, or I've heard of called Blade. That was her name. And so it was before the internet and I literally phoned this woman out of the blue and said, I, th I think I had a dream about you. And she, <laughs> said, and she said, good, I'll see you in six months. Wow. <laughs> I just thought, what are you, I'm in university. I am living at home. You know, my dad is sick. I don't, I don't know about this, but nonetheless, five months later, my father died. Six months later, there I was in the desert studying with this woman. Wow. What was that experience like? It was phenomenal. Uh, it was life-changing. It, it literally changed the course of my life and the direction it took. So I left university. I left that academic path um, with the hopes of becoming a herbalist slash medical doctor. And I moved, packed up. I literally had a backpack, got on a plane, moved to Santa Fe, told my family I'd be back in six months, which never happened. I never actually returned. And I... It, 
I, in many ways, I, looking back, I would say I was almost too young for the intensity that I experienced. I was, I think, 21 at the time, 20 or 21. And part of this shamanic apprenticeship was deep excavation of your inner landscape. And it was hard. It was literally giving death to yourself and your identity. And at 21, having just gone through the extraordinary trauma of losing my father, we're a very close family. I was still living at home. Looking back, I can say that I would never put a 21-year-old through that, especially having just gone through such a significant trauma. However, I am a strong person. If there's anything I've learned about myself, it's that I have more strength than I even think I have. So it was an, a deep excavation of your inner terrain. And if, any, if you're familiar with Carlos Castaneda, it's of yeah. that similar vein. So giving death to myself for a full year and my identities and who I thought I was, coupled with learning about plants, which yeah. was really powerful and nourishing. Was it a one-on-one -on -one apprenticeship or were there others yeah. there? It's it one -on -one. was one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can really resonate with that. I also was 20 or 21 when I left university to study under my first mentor in acupuncture. And yeah, I would love to have a redo. <laughs> <laughs> being the person I am today, I certainly valued it and appreciated it then and learned so much from it. But I think there was a lot that maybe I missed just in my youth. And I, uh, I, Lonnie Jarrett, who I interviewed uh, several episodes ago, speaks of the, the medicine can only go so far dependent on, I'm paraphrasing very poorly, but depending on the work that the practitioner has done on him or herself. Like there's only so much that the medicine can do if the practitioner hasn't done their own work. And so it, it does take time to cultivate that. Yeah, I agree with you so much. And I love that, that quote um, or paraphrase. Yeah, being thrown down the mouth of the dragon so young, in many ways it matured me very quickly. I grew up quick and uh and came into a certain level of consciousness and awareness very young and then what ha ended up happening a really interesting synchronicity is when i i was done with santa fe and i was done i literally packed up my car and left like i hightailed it i was done after a year i uh moved to vancouver as i mentioned started homeopathy school landed on salt spring but what was interesting is within the first few days of moving to Salt Spring, I had met this woman who said, oh, you've done a Toltec apprenticeship in Santa Fe. You should really meet these two people, these two teachers. And one of them was indeed an indigenous woman from New Mexico, the land we now call New Mexico. And she was in the lineage of Don Miguel Ruiz. And I studied with her and her partner for 10 years. So from age 21 to about 31, I was in this deep, practice, which has changed my life in many ways, namely the lens through which I see life. And, and maybe it's similar to you after your deep apprenticeship. There's just a way it changes you and how you see things, how you see people, and of course, how you see yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Herbalist Peter Conway, one of your colleagues, he, he basically says we're the medium between the plant medicine and, and the the client, the, the healer, the recipient. That's, that's all we do as healers. We're the medium. We help to connect them. Yeah, I 
agree. I would say the same. And I think part of being a good practitioner, what I've learned through these years, having done this from such a young age, is you have to have some kind of practice that keeps you clear. And that's something that I teach my students, having some kind of practice uh, to just keep the, the vessel clear so that you can be that clear medium so you could see what it is that the patient or the client really needs and to be able to ha feel the resonance um, through all your different skill set of what the right medicine is for that person in that situation so that you're not just working by rote, but you're really being able to um, be, bring, be the bringer of the, the right medicine to that right person because it is all about relationship. Yeah. So I would, I pre presume you're a lifelong student, much like most people, I think, in the field of holistic medicine. At what point did you start to also become a teacher? Mm -hmm. Pretty quickly in, and it was, I would say maybe a year or two after I finished homeopathy school, which was four years, I was invited to teach a small group, just a study group really of women who wanted to learn more about herbs in particular. And so I, that was, oh gosh, maybe 15 or so years ago. And that study group was, it was, it was incredible. It was like a house on fire it took off and they wanted more. And then eventually it was a larger class. And then eventually it was a longer program. And then eventually it turned into what I now call the alchemy of herbal medicine that I've been teaching for about 10 years, maybe a little longer. So the path of the teacher happened in a way accidentally. And from there, I'm deeply involved in a priestess tradition in California. So maybe 12 years ago, I got pulled into teaching there kind of accidentally. And that's what it's been. And it's been an incredible journey because I never set out to become a teacher. That was never part of the plan. <laughs> I really was devoted and still am to clinical work. And I don't think I'd ever give that up. I can't imagine ever giving that up. And now as I'm older and I have learned that the way that my life works is like breadcrumbs and maybe it's the same for others, but my life is these things just come in and kind of grab me by the collar and off I go. And teaching has been one of those things and it's been so rewarding. Tell me a bit more about what it is that you do teach. You've been teaching workshops at Pacific Rim College for a number of years and now you're also one of the faculty members on our online herbal programs, the Community Herbalist and Home Herbalist program. Take take me on a walk through what you teach, including your alchemy program. It sounds very fascinating. Yeah, so I'd say my my deep passion and love is the the many levels of health. So we have, of course, the physical dimension, but we also have our spirit and you can't really take them apart. That's a manufactured, very modern ideology to even say body and spirit because we're one. I would say the, the essence of what I teach through all of my different trainings um, are really about how to, I would say I would start by saying health is one of the ways that I would define health is by a sense of freedom. And we can't really be in the totality of our health without giving ourselves a gift of a, a sense of freedom. So in everything that I teach, again, based on those first 10 years of my adulthood, age 20 to 30 or so, 
my years of being a Toltec apprentice has really shaped my the way that I see everything and that I'm committed to my own inner sense of freedom, but also that of others. So one thing that really struck me, maybe the easiest way to, to kind of talk about this is in homeopathy, there's this idea that many of us live from the place of a core delusion. And that core delusion is that false perception of reality. And that dovetails well with the Toltec teachings, which are uh, we create our own hell by the, by the swallowed lie, by the false perception of reality that we live with and walk around. And so just a simple example that I see often is people um, live with a, let's say, to make this really easily accessible, a poor sense of self-worth, let's say. And there's many reasons one could live with a poor sense of self-worth. But what happens is that false perception of reality that I'm no good or not lovable begins to color our whole life in many obvious ways. Perhaps the relationships that we attract, the way that we feed our body, the way that we take care of our body or don't take care of our body. And then this can give rise to various physical ailments and so on. But the golden thread here is this, what the homeopaths and the old alchemists would say is this false perception of reality or the swallowed lie that we live and the swallowed lie creates a toxicity in our being. So when I teach herbal medicine, particularly the alchemy of herbal medicine, I'm also teaching a practice of self-awareness. And there's many tools that we use. We use meditation or trance, we use different journaling exercises um, and ways to stalk yourself. And so the word stalk is defined as like the jaguar stalks through the forest, we're stalking ourselves and really getting at the nuance of how we sabotage ourselves or how we hold ourselves back and, and place a lot of investment in these false perceptions of reality. So as we cultivate a deep sense of awareness, and I taught a great workshop actually at Pacific Rim, I think it was 2014, The Path of the Healer, and it was amazing. It was such a great group of students because there are great students at PRC. And it was an incredible weekend where we did the journey work of getting to know how your filters then, the, the powerful work where I want to go here is this, these tools of self-knowledge, we can then see how we're limiting ourselves or limiting the way that we can see our patients and clients. And that's really important. That's what I brought in at that weekend workshop is as you get to know your own stuff, basically, and really own your own stuff, you can see how you're projecting unconsciously onto your clients or patients. And as we learn the tools to remove those filters, we can then see the person for who they really are, which is ultimately the greatest gift a practitioner can do and be for a patient, right? Remove your own projection so you can see what's really in front of you. I love that. And again, it reminds me so much of the conversations I had with both Lonnie Jarrett and, and Peter Conway about doing, the own, doing our own personal work, our inner work, the journey that we're on to become practitioners or healers or mediums or whatever term you want to use. It's, it's not just about the elements that we're bringing into it, be that homeopathy or herbal medicine or acupuncture. It's, it's about what's within us and the clarity that we have been able to discover through doing the, the personal work. It's very powerful. Uh, the course sounds amazing that you're doing. And with that course now, I believe I was seeing on your website that for the Alchemy of Herbal Medicine, you are also dovetailing that in with 
the online program through Pacific Rim College Online. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. And thanks to Jillian for kind of mentoring me on that. It's really an incredible opportunity because of COVID. I'm not, I, I don't believe I'm going to be teaching it much in person over the next six or eight months. So I have this opportunity um, to offer essentially my Alchemy of Herbal Medicine course, but as a hybrid in that I'm also offering the Home Herbalist course, which we did at Pacific Rim Online, which is gorgeous. I mean, I still look at those videos and I'm blown away by everyone, all the colleagues, you know, I'm so proud to say I'm among this incredible faculty at Pacific Rim Online and the luscious videos that are just so stunning. So I'll be offering like a live Zoom calls, essentially giving my own te uh, teachings and mentorship while the students also um, going through the Home Herbalist course with them, all the pre-recorded material, which is a beautiful opportunity. It's very exciting. And I already have so many students chomping at the bit to register, which is fun. Oh, that's great. What was that experience like for you? Of course, that was probably the first time I think you and I met when you were recording that. What was what was that like? It was, uh, I know from the outside looking in, there was a lot of action going on with the film crews and the sound and the directors. And it was it was quite a fascinating process. It was, it was, it was a sharp learning curve. It was, it was the most challenging, some of the most challenging work I've ever done. And yet also the most rewarding and satisfying. And I have to say, and I've told all my friends here locally, the team was incredible. And still, I mean, Jillian, Liza, the film crew, just you and your children, actually, your children were such a highlight for me, seeing your beautiful <laughs> children run around. They honestly, every break I had, I was just like, this is the most beautiful experience. I get to share my work in such a supportive environment. And then you see these beautiful barefoot children running around eating fruit from these luscious trees. <laughs> and it was just the perfect environment on a gorgeous farm. And it was warm. It was inviting. It was so, it was professional. It was exceptionally high quality professionalism. And I felt so championed, especially by Jillian. I just want to give her the biggest shout out because I was like, I, I, this is not my terrain. I do not know this whole thing, the set being on camera and she prepared me so well. So it ended up being a beautiful experience. Really. I would do it again. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I would do it all over again. <laughs> And what sort of person or student would you say is best a best fit for your Alchemy of Herbal Medicine program? Who are you looking for? I would say I'm looking for the person that doesn't just want to learn herbs by rote or by textbook or merely to learn what herb does this thing for this part of the body, but someone who wants to learn the deeper nature of plants. Because just as I said, I teach and what I'm devoted to is this process of self-awareness and becoming that clear vessel so that we can be that medium. I have that same presence with plants. I want to know the plant and I teach this. I, I teach getting to know the plant as it were a person. What is its personality? And I don't mean that in just the kind of new agey concept of plants having personalities, but plants talk to us through their taste, through their flavor, through their chemistry as well. But it's when we go into deep relationship with one plant that I believe we can then become an apprentice to the plant and becoming an apprentice to the plants is when you become changed. And the most rewarding thing of my life is teaching, especially in person, 
And when I do blind tastings for my students, I'm watching them have this incredible experience where they are being, they are literally feeling the communicate, the language and the conversation of the plant in their body. So I essentially teach a plant sit and I often say we don't need to just take ayahuasca or San Pelo or one of these drugs or antheogens to have this powerful plant experience. You can have a similar depth of transformation when you deeply build a relationship with lavender, with wild yam, with elecampane. That may sound fantastical, but when you clear yourself and you quiet yourself and you spend some devotional time with a plant, preferably fresh, you can feel the conversation of that plant in your body, and then you can feel it directing you in certain places. I just taught this weekend, actually, and it, it was incredible what these students were picking up and going through by quieting their, their inner landscape to feel that deep connection with the plant. So just to answer your question, I'd say what I'm looking for, the right person is someone who wants that level of presence with a plant and allowing themselves to be initiated by the plants. Mm what are some of your most powerful plant teachers or maybe i should say who yeah hmm. i feel like the list is often changing depending on what i'm going through but right now i'm having a really deep relationship with peony white peony uh panea latifolia and it is not just a herb for the female reproductive system. Herbs actually are not gender bias, really. And it is uh, such a grounding plant that teaches me about trusting life, that you can be deeply grounded, relaxed, open, and get things done from that place that is deeply relaxed and open. And it also teaches me about uh, stillness is not, what's the word? Stillness is not not being productive, shall we say. This, this plant, like many of these nourishers, are, they show us that when we're still, we can be filling up our vessel and in many ways preparing for or filling up our vessel so that we can be in, that we can share generously. I think that's where I want to go. Peony teaches me about filling up deeply. And from that place, there, uh, that, from that place of plenty, I have much to share and it won't lead to depletion. Mm. Yeah, I only know Peony from a Chinese perspective, Chinese medicine perspective. We call it Bai Shao for white peony. And it's very much a tonification, helps to, helps to nourish the blood through, through primarily the liver and the spleen. And, and the mm. spleen would be an organ that's very earthy, very grounding. I love that. Yeah. Are there any others that right now are, are some of your great teachers? Yeah, I love Ella Campaign. I'm thinking of that because I'm just about to harvest some of the root. And 
it's uh, that plant, just a little side note, which I always find so interesting. It was listed in, I believe, the 1700s or so as one of the first ca- confections, one of the first candies. Hmm. So if, if you've ever tasted it, it's so bitter and very intense, very pungent. And yet when it's covered in honey, that's what they would give kids. And so when I teach the plant, I always say to my students, just consider that this used to be sweet and delicious. (laughs) That was our barometer, right? Our definition of sweet has really changed. But Ella campaign, again, a deep root that moves stagnation so powerfully. And it's also a a plant that I teach as related, relating to ancestral healing medicine. And the reason being is because, you know, plants teach me, they're my first teachers year after year after year after year of teaching this plant in plant sits with my students. Nearly every one of them in the meditation starts talking about an ancestor really, or a, me- or a memory of a grandparent or they're thinking about or what's emerging in their, in their mind as they're in the meditation with the plant. They start thinking about familial traits or habits that they have that their mother had, that their grandmother had. And so that's actually how I learned my Materia Medica. That's my little secret, Todd, that I'm telling you, is like actually how I learn my Materia Medica and how I learn my, what I know about plants on a deeper level beyond the textbook is through doing this, these kinds of sits with students, hundreds now, mm-hmm. probably several hundreds over the more than a decade. So I use Elecampane for ancestral healing. And I'm thinking about that right now because it's almost the anniversary of my grandfather's death in about a week. He died last summer and uh, I'm thinking about him and I'm thinking about that plant because I'm about to be harvesting. And I mean, I love so many plants. I could wax poetic about rose and the whole rosaceae family and hawthorn, of course, and ladies mantle. I have a real affinity to that family. And, um, and then there are, of course, the Artemisias. And really, some of my favorites are the Asteraceae. So a lot of the, the first aid herbs. So many of our first aid herbs are members of the Asteraceae family. That's the daisy family. So we have Calendula and Arnica and Dandelion and Bellus perennis. And so I have a strong affinity to those wild ones because they grow everywhere. They, they're tough. I love the tough wild ones that grow everywhere and they're noxious weeds because that shows us their, their resiliency and how they can thrive against all odds. So when I think about wounds that don't heal, when I think about people who get repeated injuries, I'm thinking of that tough family, right? That can withstand all these odds and still thrive. And um, so I love the wound healers. I have a strong affinity to the wound healers and I love to make a lot of, of course, topical medicine with them. What are some of the stories that you have of using these plants to help bring about healing responses? Yeah, I was recently just thinking about actually someone who has gone through cancer more many times and has um, experienced the ill effects of radiation, of course, and using I love the old-fashioned medicine, just using a, a, a poultice over the radiation burns on her chest. And her doctor remarking, you know, what did you do? This is incredible. Why is your skin healing so quickly? Of course, she mentioned herbs, and he somewhat scoffed, but she knew the effects of it. So that's what comes to mind. I was just speaking with this person, but I love 
how herbs can bring comfort. I mean, there are many profound stories I could tell you and I may get a chance to go into that, but I love just how herbs can bring people comfort in ways that they didn't know or expect. And wound healers, that can't be taken for granted. Like it's a powerful and profound thing when someone is in pain and you can alleviate their pain, especially things like radiation burns. Or after I've had countless people I've given comfrey leaf to after knee replacement surgeries or hip replacement surgeries or bone broken bones and giving infusions of comfrey leaf. I don't give the root in infusion, but comfrey leaf and things like horsetail, the recovery time is cut in half. It's just incredible. Yeah. So I love functional, functional usage of plants in that way. Now you mentioned helping people to relieve their pain. Can you clarify the difference between how herbal medicine can help in that capacity versus pharmaceutical medicine and what the difference is in those, uh, those pharmacotherapeutics, so to speak? Absolutely. So what I, the, the key piece here and where herbs are profound and truly people's medicine is that they stimulate and initiate our own inner healer within. So when they, in the instance of a burn, severe burn, and I've seen third degree burns, I've seen some horrific burns. And what herbs are doing there is they're not just bringing, they're not numbing the pain. They're not killing or numbing the nerve endings like some pharmaceutical pain meds will. And there is a time and a place for pharmaceutical pain management. Absolutely. I don't discount that. However, what herbs are doing is they're facilitating and enhancing our own inner healing mechanism. So they're literally encouraging the body, the immune system to proliferate new cells and facilitate the speed of natural recovery. Whereas pharmaceuticals, what they're doing in their, they're numbing, they're literally giving us comfort so we don't feel the pain, but what they're not actually facilitating the mending of that tissue or those cells. So that's a huge difference. And when people are on pain medication, let's say they're taking some kind of opiate orally, I will still apply herbs appropriately, depending on what the herb and the drug are. But certainly for topicals, they can be taking pain, an oral pharmaceutical to numb the pain. Therefore, they don't have the sensation. Therefore, they're more comfortable in their life. They can get some sleep. But I will be applying topicals or giving them some select herbs internally to actually help get to the root of things. And that's what herbs do, right? They get to the root of what's really going on rather than manage pain. Because pharmaceuticals, their key role is they give us temporary relief and they manage the situation. They, it, it's not actually a healing art, right? And no, yeah. I would argue too that it even can go a bit beyond not just being a healing art, but also into the realm of having a negative impact. And of course, pain and any of our symptoms, they're just messages, messages yeah. from our body. And to, numb out those messages to take away pain might result in someone who has a stiff neck moving their neck more freely and damaging some of the cranial nerves that have been isolated through that pain and inflammation process of the body's natural immune system. Exactly. Uh, absolutely. And we see that all the time. And that what happens then is 
one, the injury persists or even gets worse because they're not in connection with what's happening in the pain messages. And then consequently, you have more pharmaceuticals coming in to yes. manage more pain or more ailments. Yeah, I mean, that's what we see all the time. Yeah. Have, have you treated any sort of people in situations where herbal medicine probably was not thought to do anything like any incredible experiences where someone has come to you just as a last last ditch effort nothing else is working i know you can't do anything for me but here i am oh yeah i have lots of those i'm sure you do <laughs> i mean it's both a challenge and a reward being that practitioner that people come to as a last ditch effort right like mm -hmm. one more try I'd say what's really rewarding is fertility. A lot of women who come who cannot conceive or they're told they can't conceive for a variety of reasons and then being on herbs, herbal protocols, and they do. I mean, that's the most rewarding because you literally are then seeing new life. Somebody has a baby nine months later in their arms. That's incredibly rewarding. So I've treated cases of people being told because of scar tissue or because of an ovary that ruptured when they were a teenager, they cannot have children or because of various surgeries they've had or because of blocked fallopian tubes or because of a, a number of reasons. And it's so beautiful. I mean, it's moving. I'm moved even thinking about it and thinking about a few people that I have helped in that regard. It's powerful. And this is without fertility drug treatment as well. So that's really um, powerful. And then the other one that I'm thinking about is this, I had this patient a few years ago who came to me, she had a significant amount of her colon removed. And it was actually a huge issue that she had. She wanted to sue the hospital because they took out too much and the, the ramifications were horrible. And she was hospitalized for many, many months with recurrent infections, lost so much weight, nearly died. But when she eventually came to me, she said she was really underweight, very pale, had lost a lot of her hair. Her hair was entirely gray, even though she was fairly young. And she said, I cannot absorb my food. I feel like I'm dying. And can you do something? I don't, I basically don't have much of a colon left. And I believe they might've even taken some of her small intestine if my memory is correct. So it was a pretty serious situation. And she was in dire straits. And I gave her, I, I, I will I'll be honest, I didn't know what to do at first. At first, I thought, what am I going to do with this person? But what I ended up doing at first was to give her nutritive infusions. So I gave her things like nettle, of course, and a little bit of comfrey leaf, red raspberry leaf, milky oats, a few others, horsetail. And I said, drink a liter of this every day, strong infusion. So not just a tea, we're talking about a proper infusion, which is a weight to volume ratio, which we teach in the community herbalist course and home herbalist course. So she did that and she came and saw me uh, six weeks later and she looked fantastic and she it was six weeks instead of a few weeks because I was away and, and things were happening but she came back and she said I cannot believe it but I feel better than I've ever felt I'm actually able to absorb some of my food it's not just running through my body and her color was better her energy was better her sleep was better so much was better but what was even more significant is about four to six months later 
her hair not only started growing back, but it reverted from gray to her natural brown, which was outstanding. And that's not just cosmetically lovely to see that. That's actually an indication that her body is metabolizing her nutrients, utilizing her nutrients and repairing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was really powerful. She was actually growing younger there for a bit. Yeah. So when you say she had felt better than ever before, does that mean even pre-surgery? Oh, yeah, absolutely pre-surgery, yeah. Because when somebody's at the point where they need that kind of surgery or have have serious Crohn's disease, IBS, by the time they're diagnosed or get surgery, it's already at least 10 years, if not longer, Mm -hmm. that they have some pre-existing dysbiosis or inflammation or whatever it might be so she was unwell for many many years and actually when we did the intake she was a sick kid she was one of those children who was sick all the time rounds and rounds of antibiotics so she never had really felt better and i she's been under my care for many years and it is quite rewarding and moving to see that her quality of life is better now because part of being a herbalist and a practitioner such as yourself is we do education, right? That's part of being a practitioner. We're educating people on what is nutritious food and what is a healthy lifestyle for that person in the context of who they are and in the context of their life. Yeah. It's fascinating. I love, I love hearing stories of, of the almost miraculous recoveries and experiences from natural medicines. And of course, as clinicians, we know that they're actually far more common than people might think. Absolutely. The other piece I just want to mention is how herbs can be so helpful during chemotherapy. And that's another, that's another area that's, real, that's moved me as a practitioner and has blown my mind as a practitioner because I can read about these herbs that help during chemo or minimize the nausea. But when you actually see it and you see the improvement in people's lives and you see the improvement in their outcomes, it is deeply rewarding. So I wanna just give a shout out, especially to the herb Eleuthero Siberian ginseng and how it can improve how people manage chemo because there are times and places where people choose or need to do chemotherapy. And I have seen countless people struggle and wonder if they're going to make it through chemo. And uh, with the help, with the addition of some adaptogens under the care of a skilled practitioner, they can make a huge difference. And there's clinical data in that as well, of course, that these herbs improve the outcome of chemo. Now, what sort of, uh, I'm just going to presume by using this term resistance, because I presume there has been some, what sort of resistance have you met from the allopathic medical community about your so-called another word interference with with the strategies that they're employing yeah yeah so that's always interesting to navigate i have never had to come head on head with a with a physician here i do know that there's one doctor who essentially thinks me and naturopaths and acupuncturists and all of us are dangerous to the public. I mean, there's, he's really tough on us, but I've never had to come head to head. What is hard though is how, how it's impacted me 
personally is it's come through my patients. And my biggest concern and what I'd love physicians to know is that because of some, not all, but some of them who have such a ill-perceived notion of who we are and what we do as natural health practitioners, what ends up happening is patients don't fully disclose what they're doing. So I'm caught in this awkward place that I've had to navigate and I've learned how to navigate it. When a patient says to me, I'm taking all these things, but I don't want to tell my doctor. And I'm, I be as diplomatic as I can. And I encourage them, you know, just let them know if you choose to, because I cannot condone keeping that from your physician. But that, that's my biggest beef. If I ever was sitting among a board of physicians or college of physicians and surgeons, I would say that their attitude and their perception is actually injuring the patient. Because when you have patients who are not fully disclosing or not, where practitioners are not in conversation, the ones who are ultimately burdening that load is indeed the patient. Yeah, they certainly are. And I've even, I've had friends undergoing chemo who have not only been told not to seek out any other forms of therapy, but have been told to eat what I think is one of the most nutriently poor diets imaginable, including white bread, uh, because my understanding is they want to minimize any potential side effects with any other agents whatsoever outside of what they are using in their pharmacotherapeutics. And to me, that is, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's sad. Uh, I think it's almost criminal to, to hamper a patient's or a person's healing progress in such a fashion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it is because of the unknowns, right? Herbs do these wild, reckless things called modulations. So a herb can either lift the immune system a little bit, or it can quell it if there's persistent inflammation. So it's that so-called irregularity and unpredictability in herbs that make them so scary to the medical establishment, that coupled with their lack of training in herbs. Yes. Um, and it is, I agree, it's atrocious. Even though most of the pharmaceutical agents come from herbs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Just I know. by a different name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Vis-a-vis -a, -vis a laboratory. Yeah. Going a bit personal, and hope, hopefully it's not too personal, but what sort of, I know you've had some health struggles. How have your own personal health struggles been met and greeted by the medicines that you use? Yeah, well, you know, physician heal thyself. So I have, they've been incredible. I mean, the two that I'll speak about, the two major ones in my life that I'm happy to speak about. The one is when I was a teenager, I had a serious spinal injury. And I it was the one at the times I did go to the doctor and they said to me and my mother, well, surgery is the option. I had a degenerated uh, disc and I was in so much pain. My mother thankfully said, let's look at every other option before we consider that. And that's when I was introduced to acupuncture and osteopathy and herbs and homeopathy. That's actually when those four came in strongly and they're still significant in my life. 
And I was able to not only completely recover, but I've never had back issues since. And I remember the doctor saying, you won't be able to ride a bike. You won't be able to do yoga and do downward bends. And you won't be able to do that. He listed all these things I supposedly wasn't able to do. And I do all of them still. This is over 25 years later. So that is, I think, largely what fostered this incredible moving out into the world and passionately pursuing natural healing. Then the other one that I still work with is having low thyroid hypothyroidism and I was diagnosed five or six years ago with that and I had all these really bizarre symptoms I actually thought I was dying I was freaked out I thought I maybe I had cancer I had all these symptoms that I didn't actually know were associated with low thyroid some of them were obscure and I have a friend who's also a physician and she said, you know, you just get this checked. And so I did. And lo and behold, the blood work came back as low thyroid. And she said to me, my friend who's a MD, she said, I totally support you to do natural medicine, but I will say your levels are dangerously low. Your thyroid is dangerously low. And she said, if you can do this naturally in six weeks, I will support that. But if it's longer than six weeks, I'm putting you on a drug. And I said, give me six weeks. And within four weeks, my blood work was normal. Wow. And that was entirely herbs and some dietary changes. But it was really herbs. And I notice it. I know even now my, my blood work's been pretty much great ever since. But I do take her, I can feel when my energy is dipping. I now know my body symptoms. I pay really close attention and I'll just increase my herbal formula when I need to. And so a lot of the herbs I'm using are, of course, our beautiful adaptogens. Ashwagandha or withania is one of the key ones that I'm using. Um, some licorice, mugwort. So a lot of the warming digestives, diffusives that are balancing the endocrine system and Vitex. That's, I didn't mention that when you asked one of my favorite herbs, but Vitex is okay. by far one of my other favorites. Yeah. Incredible. Have you ever read any of the work or the teaching of Anthony Williams, medical medium? I have not. No. He has an incredible perspective on hypothyroidism and potentially the connection to the Epstein-Barr virus. So I suggest to anyone reading his, his books, uh, it's the Medical Medium series. He has quite a number of them, but uh, there's one particularly on thyroid. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to check that out. Yeah. And how do you, you mentioned these four uh, main therapies, acupuncture, homeopathy, herbalism, and was it osteopathy? Being a homeopath as well, how do you integrate that in with your herbal therapeutics, or do you? Yeah, I do. So I essentially, how I, I, in many ways, I believe that homeopathy is like the other side of herbal medicine. And if I was queen of the universe, I would have herbal trainings include homeopathy because it is so expansive and has deepened my practice significantly. So when I see someone, I do a deep and thorough intake. And that, that, is, that training is really taught to me by the homeopathic schools. There is a way in which they do the intake and the way in which they piece together all the information, which is brilliant, I think. So 
in doing the intake, I can usually sense and see what level a person's disturbance resides on. And again, that's part of my homeopathic training. So I can see where is the totality of symptoms resting and what modality will really help create that change in the greatest, most profound way. And sometimes with some people, it's just herbs that I'll use. I'll know that that's the level at which they need to be met. And I don't even mean it's, that it's a personal preference for them, but it's kind of the language of their body and the language of their symptoms. Because one of our skills as a practitioner is to learn the body's language and the body symptoms. And then there are times where it's just homeopathy, but most of the time I'm doing both. Most of the time I'm using classical homeopathy or constitutional remedies to get at the deeper essence, the miasmic state, the root at which this so-called disease or system or condition has arisen from. So I'm getting to the genesis with that constitutional remedy. And then I'm using herbs to support the change in pattern and to support the body to nudge it in the, in the direction of self-correcting. And also what herbs do brilliantly is they literally feed and nourish our tissues and our body systems and organs. So I love, I love the dual approach and I think it's incredibly complementary. And I, for 16 years, I worked at a multidisciplinary clinic here on Salt Springs. So I worked alongside an osteopath and an acupuncturist. So it was wonderful that we shared most of our patients would see all of us, not necessarily in the same day, but um, they would work among us. And that was wonderful because I could have conversations and still do with my colleagues. They would tell me what they're sensing or picking up from the five element acupuncture modality that she practiced as a five element practitioner. And then the osteopath would tell me what they're picking up from her modality. And together we were speaking different languages, but saying the same thing, which is a wonderful way to work. And with all this experience that you have, 16 years there, decades of studying herbal medicine and homeopathy, uh, teaching so many, but as I said earlier, we're lifelong learners. In the last year or two, what is one of the biggest lessons that the universe has brought for you? Mm, What a great question. Well, that can take us a whole other hour. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it is, to be perfectly honest, is uh, how important it is to stay true to yourself. And that when you're not true to yourself, life will kick you in the butt and send you right back on your path. And that kick in the butt could be illness. That kick in the butt could be interpersonal stuff, betrayal. Um, Yeah, I think that is, it's so important. That's what illness teaches us. That's what heartbreak teaches us. That's what loss, bereavement. Um, We don't really have a choice but to stay true to our path. That's essentially what I learned this last year or two. I just turned 41 and, you know, I've read all these things over the years about your 40s and when you're 40, what happens and the midlife crisis, or if you're an astrologer, the midlife transits. And I remember many years ago reading that when you hit this age, you you can't lie to yourself anymore. There's something about you just have to get honest. And if you don't, that is when things like relationships blowing up or health crises happening 
And so I had my own brush with that. I'd say the last year and a half, I left my clinic, I left my partner, I moved, I bought a house, I made all these career changes. And that has been my personal and professional lesson is how important it is to stay true to yourself. And I'll even say accepting the the offer to do the Pacific Rim online, I had to face all my fears to say yes to that, you know, being seen, being on camera, I'm not an actor, I'm not, you know, all these stories. But being true to myself meant continuing the path of being devoted to healing and also teaching and also herbal medicine. So yeah, I'd say that's mm. my life lesson. Yeah, great response and, and great lesson. I think we could all we can all take something away from that. What right now has you most excited? Right now, what has me most excited is the season we're in. This is the earth element, the deep harvest, the pagan holiday, Lamas just passed. And yeah, I'd say where we live, where I live. And, um, and right now I have friends evacuating Northern California because of the fires. So I'm really excited and honored and feel very fortunate to be living here. And I also feel very excited. I might, you're the, this is the first public moment I'm saying this, but I might be taking some acupuncture classes at PRC this fall. Oh yeah. That's exciting. It is exciting. And you know, part of my, my midlife crisis that I just touched on <laughs> is um, I am a lifelong learner, like you said. And when I was 20, that was one of the things I wanted to do. Cause remember I worked for this woman who was a homeopath and an acupuncturist. And I also wanted to pursue osteopathy. So I'm kind of returning. Uh, I've grown to be very affectionate uh, to the, towards the school and the wonderful faculty there. So I'm looking at taking some classes. So I'm excited about that, continuing my journey in learning and being a healer and devoting my life to these arts. Yeah. Well, there's so many beautiful things about the healing arts, but I just want to emphasize that in choosing to study any of them, even if you don't see something through to your intended completion, the knowledge that we gain, the pearls of wisdom that we're able to, to extract from the teachings of others, there are lifelong partners and lifelong allies for us. It's, I don't think we're ever any of us will reach a point in our life where health is not of the utmost important and that it's the things that we learn from these herbal teachers and textbooks and the plants themselves or the acupuncture or the energetics that will guide us along the way and help us have the most rewarding experience. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And one thing I always say to my students or any students for that matter who are embarking on, on this career path is I say, get ready for these medicines to change you in ways that you cannot imagine. And it's a wonderful thing, the way you see life, the way you see the world, the lens through which you see the world will change in a beautiful way that's deepening. So yeah, I love how you said that there are partners in life. Yeah, where can people connect with you or what's the best way to learn from you? Well, we've already mentioned the online programming and so I know that's on your website, uh, which is what? Yeah, my website is my name, so SarafinaCapranos.com. And okay. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, just by my name, 
So those are good places to find me. Yeah. And then your courses that you're on the faculty of for Pacific Rim College Online are, of course, on our website there. I'll have all of this in the show notes. And you are still actively taking patients. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have a wait list these days, but I do actively still practice these days for COVID. It's online on Zoom, but I also have a practice here on Salt Spring in person. Great. And so people can find more about that on your website? You bet. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Fascinating journey that you've been on. I really, uh, on behalf of all of us at Pacific Rim College, we feel so grateful for the incredible faculty that, that we do have and you being such a, a, an incredible part of that. Thank you for all that you bring to our, our learning community. Thank you so much, Todd. It's been such a wonderful journey connecting with all of you. That's incredible. Thank you so much as well. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Serafina Kerpranos. If you want to learn more about Serafina and her work, visit serafinakerpranos.com and check out PRC online programs featuring her the Community Herbalist Online and Home Herbalist Online programs at PacificRimCollege.online. If you are interested in studying herbal medicine, Pacific Rim College's School of Western Herbal Medicine is world-renowned and offers diploma and certificate programs. We are accepting applications for 2021. Visit PacificRimCollege.com for more. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, consider allowing herbs to guide you along a journey of healing and connection.